0: But here at Grace and Peace, we exist to bring the healing power of the gospel to every broken place. And why is this important? You want to know why it's important? It's because if I'm honest with myself, I'm a total wreck. I'm messed up. I ain't got it together. But Jesus' grace in the gospel, the declaration of his life, death, and resurrection, that he's making beautiful works out of wrecks like me. That's good news. That's good news. And so that's why we're about the gospel. Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God unto salvation. Jack Miller sums up the gospel like this. Cheer up you are more sinful than you ever imagined. But in Christ, you are more loved than you ever dared hope. And so that's good news. And so that's why we are about the gospel. And it is the gospel that has brought you know, Holly and my family here and caused this church to be here because we believe it's good news, even to those who are running away, and especially for those who are running away. There was a woman I ran into in St. Louis, Missouri. We found out that we were coming here. And this woman, I talked to her, and she was in ministry. I'm all like, tell me about Colorado Springs. I accepted a job there. I'm excited to see what happens. And she says, are you kidding me? What are you thinking? Why in the world would you want to go to that city, she said. And I'm like confused. I'm like, wait, wait, this is Colorado Springs, Christian Mecca, right? No, but her comeback was this. She says, you know, going there, everyone's really polarized. No, wait, like, people don't want Christianity. How in the world are you going to raise your family there? They're going to infect you. They're going to mess with your brain. You can't possibly remain Christian while living there. And so what she was doing is she was fleeing and retreating away from a city where she believed it was messing with her. It was going to mess up her Christian identity. Why would you want to go there to do ministry? And then she ends with this. Well, I guess some people run into the fire and other people run from it. This is my challenge. My challenge is this. Is that Jonah and the gospel challenges us as Christians to be people that run into the storms, run into the fires, at great risk and peril to ourselves. Why? Because Jesus Christ himself, our Lord and Savior, the one we follow, is the one who went into the great storms at cost of his entire life for you and me so that you could live And that's the story that we come into. She wanted to protect and flee so that she could protect her Christian morals, her Christian identity. Because in the end, what was true was probably that she was fragile. She was self protecting And I don't blame her. I get that feeling. I understand the feeling. It would be nice to stay in my home all the time and not have to talk to someone who is not like me. But is that the way to be Christian? You see, this story comes and the story of Jonah goes to the people of Israel who were running away from God. And, they, but, and how were they running away from God? By running away and ignoring the situations of the world around them, including their neighbors, Amen. the Ninevites. She wanted to flee. that He wants to flee. Jonah wants to get away from those evil Ninevites. But Israel, who are they to be? It says in Genesis, you and I and every person are made in the image of God. We are made to reflect the character and goodness. The very person of God into the world. We are like angled mirrors. One who worships the great Lord and shows into the world God's goodness. God's mercy, God's love. In Exodus 19, God's people are called His treasured possession amongst the the nations. Why? So that they may be to Him a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. That they are to minister the presence of God, His love and His kindness, His person into the world. But what is Jonah doing? Jonah is asleep in the belly of a boat while a storm is raging around him. Here's a question. Who's the sinner in the book of Jonah? Who's the sinner? Surprise, surprise. It's not the dirty, heathen Ninevites. No. What did Jonah do in this story? He made himself to be the sinner. As striking as it may sound, the religious God-worshipping minister who fears the Lord, Yahweh, is the sinner. And Jonah does this in order that he may get into every religious person's life. Suddenly, he's in your closet going, Surprise! You are the man! You are the one to whom this is written. Notice, That the people who are repenting, the people who are doing what they should have done, are the pagans, the sailors, the Ninevites. They are turning away from their sin, and Jonah sits in obstinance. They're doing what the message of the prophets typically was. They're repenting. They're giving up their trust in anything else. And they're trusting in the living God. Repentance is giving up your trust in anything else to give you an identity. Identity. To give you a bearing in this world. To make you socially acceptable in this world. And to trust and rest and receive on the finished work in the person of Jesus Christ. But, our identities are fragile, aren't they? Isn't it? We're fragile people. You want to know how fragile it is? This is how fragile fragile you and I are. If we were to put anything out there about our Christian faith or whatever, I mean, it could be anything. It could be uh, Instagramming about some food I have. And as soon as someone says something negative or we take that as remotely backhanded, what do we do? We start to sweat. We start to panic. Why? Because we think our identity is on the line. And so what do we re- how do we react? And the tendency to react is generally to self-protect. And there's two ways that we generally self-protect. One of them is to retreat into little holes and never talk to anybody. And the other way is then to project all of our fears and failures. And what do we do? We go after people. We blast them. We go on the offensive. See, Christianity, what happens in our world is because of our fragility, we adopt this victimhood status. And from that status, we Christians, we operate in fear. We either cower and retreat or we project and become offensive. As people, though, they are to see us. And when they see us, they're to see the God we worship. Is he stable? Is he loving? Is he kind? But what do they see? Do they see a God who's uncaring, uninvolved? A God who's a scold, a God of law and order? Or do they see a gracious God? One that sacrifices for others. That brings justice at great cost to himself and his own people. See, the story of Jonah is a rebuke and an invitation to trust that salvation belongs to the Lord and it is relevant for our situation today. Jonah shows us that sin is running away from God, trying to make an identity for ourselves apart from God's giving it and his verdict on your life. Jonah tells us that the Christian life, though, is for mission, and to refuse that mission is to run away in sin. Although sin is never mentioned in this narrative, it is certainly shown in the life of Jonah. It is shown as running away from God, denying his call, and living out the identity and mission God has called for you and for me. Today, ignoring our neighbors in the storm is running away from God's mission. See, Jonah is now telling us that the Christian mission, the Christian life, is to be carried out for his glory, but it is accomplished... Not by retreating, not by triumph, but by sacrifice. Not by retreating, not by triumph, but by sacrifice. So not by retreat. Jonah works as a literary device for all the listeners. He's the one living the story. And we are to situate ourselves to see through him what we are to know. God calls him into mission, but he runs when he learns what his mission is to do. Is to go to the heathens, those Ninevites, so he runs. His running away is is, is, is for us to understand what sin is. Sin is running away from God. It is transgressing against God's word and how he sets up the world. So God goes after him in the storm. The narrator then tells us of the missteps of Jonah. The storm comes, and Jonah is fast asleep in the belly of the boat. He's sleeping. He can care less about the dire state of the sailors. Jonah has retreated, and it was because of his failure that the storm comes on these people. And the church is tempted to act in the same way, especially in the presence of storms. God is saying to us, just like the captain did, as, and he says this, arise call out to God. The captain is acting in the same way God did. So God says, arise, go to Nineveh. Now the captain says, arise, call out to your God. See, he's trying to wake him up. Notice it is the pagans waking up the religious person. The sailors are the ones calling out to God while all the, and while trying with all their might to save Jonah. They're the ones perceiving God's hand in the storm. And what is Jonah, the religious person, doing? He's sleeping. You see, non-Christians here are rebuking the Christians in this story. What are Jonah's motives and what are his methods? Notice the captain asks him, What do you mean? Which is a shorthand way for saying, what are you intending, what are your motives down here sleeping while we're dying, while we're perishing? Why are you hiding out while, while it's all hitting the fan up here? See, throughout church history, there have been moments that have sought to keep themselves pure. After all, God's word in Leviticus 19 tells us to be holy as he is holy, which means to be separate, to be distinct, to be different, Right? But that doesn't tell the true story. You continue in Leviticus 19, and then it continues to tell us these things. It says that the way that you treat one another, the way that you love one another, the way that you follow the law is the way that you are to be distinct in the world. So how does it boil down? Jesus says it easily. Love God, love neighbor. Love God, love neighbor. And by doing that, You should grow for the concerns of the world, the storms that are in this world, right? And that is how you show you're distinct, by how you care and how you love others, and how you treat your spouse, your roommates, your parents. That is how you are to show God's goodness. That is how you're to be holy and distinct. So when Jonah takes off, he's not just only running from God, but he's also running from his neighbor, He's running from their ways of living, and he's also running from caring from his neighbors in order to primarily distinguish himself and make himself different. So when Jonah is summoned by the pagan sailor, it's a lot like being rebuked by your gay neighbor, your white nationalist neighbor, your confederate flag-waving neighbor, your feminist neighbor. Your smelly, drunk neighbor at Acacia Park or your suburban mom at Target wearing yoga pants and Nikes as if she had just gotten from working out. But we know she just got a Starbucks with lots of sugar in order to wake up after dropping her kids off at the car line at a school. Okay, We know what is going on. But they are waking you up. Don't you care, you sleeper. We are perishing. Jonah's story is saying that the sinners are rebuking the saints. Don't you care about injustice? Don't you care about poverty? Don't you care about domestic violence? Don't you care about racism? Don't you care about Christian nationalism? Don't you care about these things, Christian? Jonah was asleep, though. In Jesus, though... We see the most human thing to do is to give ourselves for others. To go into those storms. To go into those difficult places. To disadvantage ourselves for the advantage of others. But Jonah, he shows us that the default of our heart is to self-protect. Why? Because we're so fragile and scared. His fragile identity is on the line. and All he wants to do is keep himself pure from from the polluting effects of the sailors. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying, okay? Be careful about abusive situations and people who will take advantage of you. Because self-giving to someone who will only consume you or use you or abuse you is not helping them. There will be justice for those who hurt God's people. We're called to sacrifice, but we're to do it wisely. So how do we protect our fragile identities in this world? How are we doing it? A lot of us, though, we can be religious on Sunday, but it doesn't really impact our Mondays. We can worship on Sunday, and then we ignore the greater pain on Monday. And how do we do this? Exclusively homeschooling is one way. I'm not saying homeschooling is bad. I homeschool. Saying that the only way to educate your kids, this is the only way. This is the only godly way to do it. You ignore current events. You refuse to read books by non-Christian authors. You don't view any art from non-Christians. You steer your kids away from any opportunity with non-Christians. You cloister. Why? Because you know you're fragile, not wanting your views to be challenged. But Jonah is telling us that we need to wake up. People are perishing. And you know what? Skeptics do it too. Skeptics retreat into hobbies, just like you or I do. Into romances, into Netflix. And we ignore really delving deep into the questions of the world. Ignore our Christian friends, really allowing them to challenge our beliefs or our worldviews. You see, but the storms of life will always challenge you. And will get each and every one of us. And Jonah's sleeping, but not any sleep. The sleep that is discussed here is the same sleep that was overtaken Adam whenever he was in the garden. He was, God puts him, makes him sleep. And it's the same word, same understanding. What does this mean? Is that mean Jonah's sleep is so, so deep that he's snoring? But it means that he's like under anesthesia. He's under the power of sleep. And what does this mean for you and I? It means this. What God is doing is saying that you're under the power. A power that tells you to ignore these people. To retreat, to hide. And it's powerful and it's alluring. So while people are dying, you could be under this sleep. Jonah is a reminder that ignoring the world and its troubles is running from God. God has called you to be part of his people To go into the world and bring life to it. To be salt and light. Because Jesus is God come into the world. And he was thrown into the storm for us. So how do we do this on the most basic levels? Many of us just need to invite people over to eat. Some of us need to know that we're on mission on Monday. That our co-workers are, are going through the storms there. Or just be present. Ask them how it's going. Be available. You are to take Jesus there wherever you go. To be in your neighborhood with a purpose. So some people are like, Vince, I don't know any non-Christians. And I understand that. I get that. So you know what you do? You join a club. You volunteer. Help out your kids' school. Hang out at your local school. Your community center. Do things like that. Be present. Go into the storms of life with other people. Also, the Christian life is not won by triumph. Later in the book, we see uh, Jonah's nationalistic version of his, of his religion. The nationalistic version of Jonah comes out. Whenever the Ninevites are spared, he's all like, what? You didn't nuke them? Come on, why didn't you nuke them? That's all he wanted. See, he was afraid of that. And what he wanted was for God to kind of undo their power and their strength. He wanted God to get rid of them, to defeat their enemies. He believed that God was on his side and thought that any means would justify his country defeating his enemies. He was hoping to win the culture war. And many approach the mission of the church as winning the culture war for Christ. And we bring it into all of our little relationships as well. We try to win over our family or our friends. But the means by which we do that at times is by scolding them and telling them all about the laws in every way that they're a sinner instead of showing them the beauty and the goodness that is in Jesus Christ. Notice, notice Jonah's really terrible sermon in Nineveh, in Nineveh whenever you get there. Repent. Nineveh's about to be overthrown. And somehow they turn. Okay, I'm not saying that you should ever, ever base your ministry at work on what Jonah does. Man, that would be terrible. Don't do that. Okay? Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. I do believe we should try and convince our neighbors about Jesus. I do believe that living life God's way is the best for every person. I do believe that Jesus is the universal salvation and it is very exclusive because he is the only way to be saved. So don't hear what I'm not saying. But the methods by which we get there cannot be by bullying. We need to be careful with our desire to win the culture for Christ. Because when we do, we may find ourselves easily justifying the means. But we're told how to win cultures in the Gospels and in the, in the story. And it doesn't involve policy, power, or position. Because God's kingdom is not brought into effect by power. It comes by prayer, grace, compassion, mercy, and kindness. It comes by the daily hearing and doing of God's word. And the order, ordinary operation of grace communicated to us in the sacraments. The kingdom comes by grace and not by force. Some people might say, but Vince, we need to get them to have a Christian worldview. You know, come on, Second Corinthians 10 verse 5. You need to demolish every argument says. Yeah, I get that. But verses 3 through 4 also tell us that it is not according to the flesh. It is not by the default ways of doing things. It is not by trying to win every argument, by showing everyone all their logical fallacies and different things like that. Sure, you may do that, but you have to do it with kindness and mercy and grace in the same way that Jesus runs into your life. Not because you deserve it, not because you got it together, not because you had all the arguments in your head, but by grace. Remember, all truth is God's truth no matter where it is from. Instead, the triumphalistic type looks down their noses at those who don't share their worldview, treats them as inferior and stupid all the time, saying, It's for your good. You see, those who believe themselves to be irreligious or non Christians, they do the same too. They do it by shaming others on social media, Christians do that too, especially for not voting the correct way, not being as as smart or intelligent or educated, not being as woke, not being as affirming of other sexual ethics. And this also goes into our relationships at home. You see, notice how this trickles down into your everyday life. How do you win your children over? Are you always getting them in line by scolding them? Or do you forget that God's kindness is meant to bring us to repentance? It is the kindness of God. It's not by trying to get in the power and getting all the legislation of the courts to enact and enforce policies to bring about God's kingdom. This is confusing church and state. Triumphalistic Christianity can take the form of Christian nationalism on one side or liberal Christianity on the other side, which strives to make Christianity palatable for this age by focusing on the kernel of love and ethics and neglecting the actual words and history of Jesus because he says some really uncomfortable things. Therefore, you become loose on judgment, sexual ethics, sin and a whole host of other things that made anyone uncomfortable. But Christian nationalism and Christian liberalism both seek to accomplish a kingdom without the rule of a king. Both are trying to make a kingdom both are trying to fit Jesus into our kingdoms, our molds. What we've done is we've taken the story of Jesus and we placed him on a little Procrustian bed. You're like, what in the world is a Procrustian bed? Okay, first off, it is a mythical uh, Greek mythical thing, uh, creature that would uh, get little uh, travelers to come over and like, hey, try out my bed. I, I guess that's what he sounded like. And it's magical. It fits everyone who gets in it. And what they would do is the traveler would get in the bed and, like, oh no, you're too long for the bed. And so what they'd do is cut their legs in order to fit them to the bed. Or if they're too short, you'd like stretch them out to fit into the bed. All of a sudden I sound like the Grinch or some kind of thing. That sounds weird. But anyway, so what we've done in triumphalistic Christianity on both sides is to try and subject Jesus to whatever we want. You see, if Jesus never disagrees with you, or hates all the same people you do, then you're worshiping yourself and not the real Jesus. You put him on a percustian bed. The Christian Christian life is not lived out by one moment of victory or a victory in the courts, but by moments of sacrifice every day. You know what little moments it's like? It's like you fighting the urge to sleep and getting up in the middle of the night to wipe a baby's hiney. That's the way the Christian life looks. And that's the way it changes the world, is by these little moments of sacrifice. It's by doing the dishes for your roommates. It's doing those things. And now Jonah's faced with the opportunity to do something. When Christ, but, so, so it doesn't come by retreat, nor does it come by triumph, but it comes by sacrifice. And the Christian life is one of Sacrifice. When Christian mission is reduced to retreat or triumph, then friendship will only exist to validate or affirm your identity. You end up using the people around you to shore up how you feel about yourself. And enemies, they're just objects to villainize in order that you can feel better about yourself. But Jesus shows us that friends and enemies are to sacrifice for. And in doing so, we fulfill the call of God to image him into the world... In the joy of the other, we find our true joy, our true humanity. Jonah demonstrates this, that after after the lot falls on him, revealing he is to blame, and they interrogate him, he realizes the jig is up. They ask him, who are you? And Jonah finally identifies with the solidarity of his neighbor. He says, all right, we're in this together, and I know how to be rescued from this. He goes on and he tells them, he realizes that he's running from God. He had told them the calamity, though, is also falling on them. See, as the church lives lives as sacrifice, it benefits the broader culture. But when it runs from God and it tries to protect or triumph, it will impact our neighbor negatively. Here's the opportunity for Jonah to care for his neighbor, to demonstrate Christ's likeness. We're all made in the image of God. And so Jonah realizes he has solidarity with a pagan sailor. They have dignity and value. And they are also assailed by the storm and their sin. In Jesus, we have a God who didn't stay remote or aloof. No, Jesus is God incarnate. He's come into the world. He's come to break open heaven and earth, to get to your neighborhood, to get into your skin. He shows solidarity with those he came to save, like in Philippians 2 where it says, So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others as more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not look only to his own interests, but also the interests of others, having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as something to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of man and being found in human form, he humbled himself. By becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that on the name of Jesus every knee should bow. In heaven and on earth and under the earth. See, there's solidarity. Christians aren't to just be removed from people. But to run into people's lives. Jonah then acknowledges his identity. He remembers who he is. Jonah says, I am a Hebrew. I revere or I worship the Lord, which means he's in covenant relationship with the Lord. He's got, he believes that God has given his name to him. And has enacted a relationship with him. And has come into his life. He has a relationship with the God who made the sea and the land. In this there's an entire story to be told about how God deals with humanity. God chooses to give himself to a people so that they so that he would be the, they would be his and he would be theirs. And it's for the sake of redeeming of the world. God chooses you to be part of his people. For what? For his mission. Not because of your morality, but because of his mercy. Israel is to be God's treasured possession, ambassadors of reconciliation. Jonah, and by inference Israel, they're called to belong to God, and that is to be their core identity, is that relationship with him. And it can't be snatched, can't be taken from you. And you've got to let it sink down into your heart. And so he begins to see with eyes of compassion rather than contempt for the sailors. He sees the sailors doing everything they can to save him and now realizes he needs to do something to save them. And what does he say? Throw me in. Throw me in. Here Jonah realizes that he's to blame and his identity enables him to take the penalty to rescue sailors. We're called to lose our lives for his sake. And we'll find it. The Christian life is cruciform, dying a thousand little deaths to bring life. And this is true in every relationship. Jesus takes the blame for his people and he's thrown into the storm of God's judgment on the cross. So that you and I may be enabled to live life as it was meant to be lived, in service and sacrifice to others, knowing that on the cross... Be hung so you could be free. Not to retreat, nor to gloat in triumph, but to sacrifice in the midst of storms and reflect Jesus' grace, mercy, and kindness to others. This is life as it was meant to be. This is the Christian life, one of sacrifice for God's glory. Rodney Stark, in his book, The Triumph of Christianity, records how Christianity took hold in the West through the sacrifice of the church. And he recorded this from Dionysius to Diognetus, saying, Christians are no different from the rest of their nationality, language, or customs. They live in their own countries, but as sojourners. They fulfill all their duties as citizens, but they suffer as foreigners. They find their homeland wherever they are, but their homeland is not in any one place. They are in the flesh, but do not live according to the flesh or sensuality. They live on earth... But are citizens of heaven. They obey all laws. But they live at a level higher than that required by the law. They love all. But all persecute them. And then later, another writing from Dionysius, he says this during a time of plague. This is the way the brothers threw themselves into, Christians threw themselves into the storms of the world. Most of our brothers showed unbounded love and loyalty, never sparing themselves and thinking only of one another. Heedless of danger, they took charge of the sick, attending to their every need and ministering to them in Christ. And with them departed this life serenely happy, for they were infected by others with the disease, drawing on themselves the sickness of their neighbor and cheerfully accepting their pains. Many in nursing and curing others transferred their death to themselves and died in their stead. Christianity is one that does not ignore the storms or retreat from the storms of the world but goes into the storms for others because we believe Jesus Christ is the one who took the ultimate storm of God's wrath on himself for you. When you get that at the core of your identity, you will find that you are rather not fragile, but quite resilient and actually anti fragile. And when your identity is built on that, that you're to die for, that you're loved by the God of the universe, then you can stand in the midst of the storms for your neighbor. Because Jesus stood for you. And he hung for you. Let us pray. Almighty and gracious God. As we turn now to the Lord's Supper. Will you meet with us? Will you be gracious to us? Help us to see in your giving of yourself. That we may be empowered and emboldened to give of ourselves for others. And that this is true humanity and true life. Lord, meet us now in the Lord's Supper. In Christ's name, amen.